welcome to Chicklex. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and today we are talking about splice and the shape of water. But first, let's catch up. That's your line, and I said it. That's okay. Let's, I just got mixing nervous. it up. You know rules. <laughs> no rules. No gods. Um, Mackenzie, what are you feeling this week, this beautiful late June week? So I recently rented Together Together, which is a new movie out streaming. You can like rent it on Amazon and all the different places. I think it's like $7 or less if you have Prime. But um, it stars Ed Helms and Patty Harrison. And it is about a... Patty Harrison plays a young woman who is a surrogate to Ed Helms, who plays like this single guy who wants to be a dad Mm -hmm. and it's like a very um like obviously there's a big age difference between the two but it's a very so there is that like dynamic happening where you're like are they gonna like fall in love because that would be kind of weird but you know they they do sort of fall in love but it is very like platonic Mm -hmm. um and uh, you know, there are like hints of like romance, I guess, sometimes, but ultimately, I think it is just about like f- connecting yeah. with someone and about being lonely too, because they're both pretty lonely characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love Patty Harrison, I love that she's getting like lead yeah. roles in movies and stuff. Me too. She's so fucking funny, and she she's is so like funny. quieter in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's particularly in the way that she interacts, like she works at a coffee shop and the way that she interacts with her coworker is like really funny. Um, so she does have like some comedic moments to mm-hmm. like shine that way. But I think it just goes to show that she can do many things. Yeah. Um, but I do love is, her comedy. <laughs> is Ed Helms bearable in it? Cause sometimes he really annoys me. Yeah, he's fine. He's like, uh, he's not over the top. I think the overall, I would say, like kind of understated good, good, from good. the both of them i like yeah um so i definitely recommend that it's very sweet and um and heartfelt mm-hmm. <laughs> so a good watch and then the other thing that i'm into is the book the vanishing half by Britt bennett and i feel like i've talked about this already on the podcast because i've talked about it with you but i don't think i don't yeah that's a confusing feeling now that we see each other in person um but i listened to this book um on libby and i really really liked it it's about two twin black girls that are one like marries a black they sort of like leave their small town and go in two different paths Mm -hmm. and one of them marries a black man and has a really dark-skinned daughter and the other uh just like passes and marries a white guy and has like a blonde like valley girl Mm -hmm. daughter and it does like span the two generations which i Mm -hmm. think is always very interesting yeah Mm -hmm. and i also just think that like twins are a very interesting like concept to work with i feel like there are a lot of different things Mm -hmm. you can like play with with that like yeah you literally can see Mm -hmm. right and like you can literally see like two different choices like play out for what can like they're obviously not the same person but you know Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. same circumstances yeah exactly yeah Mm -hmm. um and it was really it was just really good um yeah i loved it so definitely recommend that um, and then the third and final thing I'm into, I left for last because it's a good segue into what you're into. Yeah. <laughs> but I just read, I was camping this weekend and I like devoured the book People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry, which was recommended to me by our mutual friend, Kether. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And I, it was just like the it was just like a fun sexy book about a two best friends who go on vacation every summer together and they then one year they get in a fight and don't speak for two years and then it's about them reuniting 
and falling in love and admitting the feelings they have for each other and Ooh. the tension building is so good because obviously okay. it's like they're best friends and then they don't talk and it's like they don't want to like okay. mess anything up by hooking up so they never say anything and then they finally freaking do and it's great um and the premise is that she's like a travel writer so she always gets to go mm. on these like lavish vacations and it's kind of like set around that and she mm-hmm. like doesn't want to like return to their hometown where he's like a high school teacher and she's just always uh, running away okay there's some foils going on yeah so love the love the best friend trope love it love the best friend trope and i love there's he's also like a sort of a older brother figure too so love that okay <laughs> a little bit of splice undertones <laughs> just no. kidding uh, <laughs> um but yeah bridget what are you into okay so i'll start with i am reading a book by the same author author emily henry uh called beach read which is uh i think really big right now and it was a lot on a lot of most read lists i think on like goodreads goodreads last year um, so the premise is a romance novelist who's like 29. Her, this is all on the first few pages. I'm not spoiling anything that much. She doesn't believe in happy endings anymore because her, mar- her parents' marriage seemed perfect. But then when her dad died, it was revealed that he had a love shack with a mistress <gasps> on a lake. Yes. Um, so she goes to spend a summer at the love shack to get it in order and sell it and also work on her fourth book or something um, that she's really struggling to put together now because she doesn't believe in true love. (laughs) And guess who lives next door? It's enemies to lovers, baby. It's her high school, I mean, not high school, it's her college nemesis who also became a published author and he runs in like a serious literary crowd. So he takes himself very seriously and he writes serious fiction where she writes women's fiction. Um, And so that's the setup and they decide to teach each other about their respective genres and like she challenges him to write like a rom-com book Mm -hmm. and he challenges her to write like a more serious book and they fall in love. Um... (laughs) And it's really good. I'm enjoying it. It reminds me of reading Sarah Dessen in high school. Uh, yeah. um, that same kind of like good tension mm-hmm. and like relationship building. Um, there are a few things about her writing that get me as like a bad crutch that I keep noticing. Mm-hmm. Like if I was to try to visualize, visualize based on her descriptions, what the dude looks like, I'd be like, he has eyebrows and he has a crooked mouth. And that's like <laughs> all she talks about, you know, is like his crooked mm-hmm. smile. He like a shadow of a smile, a hint of a yeah. smile, like his crooked lips. I'm like, what does this guy look like? And then his, his brows are crinkling all the time, you know? Um, yeah. so that, that's I, been yeah. grating on me. And I did read a review from someone on Goodreads who was like, this woman clearly has never read a romance novel. She doesn't have the author in the book, like reference any romance novels or like famous Mm. books and like didn't do her research. And I think that's apparent too. Um, Anyway, I'm enjoying it though. I'm enjoying it. I'm reading it every night before bed. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, I agree. Like the writing is like uh, serviceable. Like I think it definitely, it definitely has like weaker moments in it. Yeah. And like, at parts where I was like, this could have used one more editing pass. Yeah. Yeah. When they're like, like, yeah, I agree. There is a part in, um, people we meet on vacation where she says, she's like eating dinner with a friend and she says, I threw a handful of salt over my shoulder. What? And I was like, you didn't do that. Like, it's just, you did not do that. A handful. Yeah. I I was like, bad word. No, I know. Come on. Yeah, I, I really feel the same way. Um, but enjoying it nonetheless. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, <laughs> snorting it basically into yeah. my system. Um, the other book I'm reading this week is "They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us" by Hanif Abdurraqib. It he is a um, a poet and music critic from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, which is an Easter egg tie-in for our next episode. Um, but I've been meaning to read this book for a while. I opened it when I got it and looked at the chapter list. And he basically covers a ton of musicians and artists that I love reading about. Like he has a whole section on Fall Out Boy. 
Um, My Chemical Romance, Carly Rae Jepsen, Prince, Bruce Springsteen. And he's a really like beautiful lyrical writer. And at the same time, he's really, really delving deep into what these musicians bring to culture and what they're saying about a certain time. He has a really lovely, sad essay kind of comparing the music of Bruce Springsteen, which is all about like men loving to work and like finding meaning through their, their work and their life. And he compares it to like the life of Michael Brown, um, who was killed by a police officer several years ago. And it doesn't seem like that would necessarily relate to each other, but he does a really good job. He has the most recent essay I just finished is on the band cute is what we aim for, which had that song, the curse of curves. Mm -hmm. And it was this, tragic essay about how they got together for like a 10 year reunion to tour on their album. And, um, Hanif went to one of their concerts and there was like nobody there, you know, and he was standing there listening to them sing these like horribly misogynistic songs, you know, mm-hmm. like a curse of curves is about how she's fucking stupid. And like, he can't, she can't understand the singer's intellect, you know? Oh my God. And then like the, the stinger on the end of the essay is, these poor has-beens who are touring around the country off of this one album they had 10 years ago, the singer said that rape culture doesn't exist. I've <laughs> gotten the news for that, and his music is like a reflection of it. Anyway, yeah. really enjoying this series. Um, I love reading good music uh, criticism, and I am so excited to get to the My Chemical Romance chapter. Um, <laughs> the last thing I'm into, uh, Tim and I have recently started watching Sopranos, we just started season four. Um, Mackenzie and I are Jersey girls. Obviously, this is not our New Jersey, but it is still delightful to see New Jersey. New Jersey is not big. So, you right. know, like we were it's, just watching it's, it's it. It's our New Jersey. It's our New Jersey. It is. We claim and it. We claim it. <laughs> and it's it's funny. Like we just watched an episode that the, a scene was set in the Nautilus in Madison. Oh, wow. So that happens like all the time. You're like, well, like there is a scene at Drew. They pretend it's a different college. Um, but that happens all the time. You're watching it and you're like, I know where they are. Like they're sitting in Hoboken near the train or they're in Montclair or like wow. Morristown. And cool. it's so it, that's fun uh, yeah. to kind of recognize where they film. Um, so it's it's very much a part of it's a character in the show. <laughs> uh, anyway, I am excited to get into these two very weird, very different movies that we watched, but they really have a lot of through lines that connect them. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. And I don't love either of them. I don't either. <laughs> to spoil so, it. <laughs> kill your darlings. Like, I'm not here to hold anyone's hand. <laughs> so our first film we're talking about is Splice from 2009. Clive and Elsa share their lives and professions with each other. They are both scientists for a pharma firm called NERD, where they monkey around with animal hybrids for vaguely medical purposes. Clive wants kids, and Elsa doesn't, but they are both committed to their careers. After receiving pressure from NERD, NERD, yes, (laughs) nerd, Nerd. (laughs) Clive and Elsa take a major leap and secretly create a human-animal hybrid. Their creation quickly grows and becomes a daughter to Elsa, but in the words of Dr. Frankenstein, nothing bad ever happens when you're having fun playing God. See, I wasn't going to let you read that last part. I was like, I I have to take that on because I just couldn't think of a way to wrap that up. (laughs) Well, thank you. Of course. Of course. (laughs) This was my first time seeing this movie, but I have known about it since it came out. I haven't known about it until you talked about it. Oh, get out. Yeah, (laughs) This is the first I've heard of it. I used to see it in our library in the DVD section. Okay. And I was, the cover is Dren, the hybrid, like with her tail up. And she looks a lot more animalistic on the cover um, than she does when you see her in the film. You're like, that's mostly a human. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I agree. And if you didn't catch that, Dren is her name and it's nerd backwards. This movie, you're going to have to think about it on a lot of levels, okay? It's going to engage every part of your brain. It's not for, it's horror for the intellectual crowd. It makes you think. It does make you think. It was it's a written and directed. Movie. It's a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, it was written and directed by Vincenzo uh, Natali, uh, and it's like a French Canadian production, uh, which is funny that they're in Canada. Um, yeah. 
uh, <laughs> Adrian Brody and Sarah Polly star in it. I really like Sarah Polly a lot. She uh, is mostly like a writer now and an activist. Um, oh, cool. She was nominated for an Oscar for a screenplay she wrote a couple of years ago. Um, she was really cool. She also did that. Uh, she wrote and directed that uh, Alias Grace uh, show on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was her. And Adrian Brody, this is post-Oscar Adrian Brody, so you really have to wonder what was going on with his career at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah, this is very... Um, I mean, no one is above anything. No one's... No. Like, you know, but it is a weird choice for him to make. Yeah. I wonder if this was after he bought that castle for... No, that um, was uh, Nicolas Cage, wasn't it? No, no, no. So you, Adrian Brody dated this Australian lady, Elsa something, and he bought her a castle and they did like a magazine spread where she posed on like at the castle and it was all about how he bought her this castle and then she left him to marry Thor, God of Thunder. I can't think of his name right now. Chris Hemsworth. Oh Chris my Hemlock. God. <laughs> it is Hemsworth. <laughs> and like he spent all this money on a castle for her so my theory i'm not gonna look up if to see if the dates match but my theory is that he had to do this movie because he spent wow so that money on the i castle. was literally i was gonna compare this career choice to nicholas cage and he literally did the same exact thing as him which was he bought a, a house and then had to buy a castle and then take on shitty movies nicholas really cage also owns like a t-rex head like a, like a real one? Yeah, like he has He's like his collection an Animal Crossing in real life. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe Nick Cage has weird experiments going on. So two details that jumped out to me when I was watching this that I did not think they could really fit into a certain point of our discussion, but I still want to address them, is that in this movie, Adrian Brody has a little brother who is also a scientist. Mm-hmm. And to even underscore further that they are brothers... They are two men that look totally different, but in the movie, they have the exact same haircut. Yeah. Which is, like, a bad emo haircut. Yeah. And both died, like, pitch black. Like, I think I think mm. the brother, it's not naturally black. I think it's no, dyed black. No, it's supposed to look like Adrian Brody's yeah, hair. exactly. Yeah. And Adrian Brody and Sarah Paley are cool scientists, like, rock star scientists. Yeah. And Adrian Brody, in one scene, he wears a silk vest on top of his t-shirt. Yeah. Oh, God, it's so exhausting. Um, <laughs> I know. He also call, only calls his brother little brother. Yeah, they're like, you have to know. You have to remember <laughs> that these two are brothers and that there's no reason to care about this brother other than that he's going to like set up a plot point later. It's weird because like, we would care about another human. Right? Yeah, you're like, right. <laughs> if it was a friend or a coworker yeah. that they liked. Yeah, so they're like, also, this is the most egregious case I've ever seen of like... I hate to be Neil deGrasse Tyson here, but <laughs> this movie is so far disconnected from actual science and it feels like the script doesn't even try. Like when they're doing, they have a montage where they're trying to like figure out the animal human hybrid oh, and the they're montage. like, they're just like clicking things. Yeah, and then, really funny. and then Elsa is like, wait a second. We have like, they listen to jazz and they're like, we have to try something different. How about the M3 compound? And it's like not explained to us how this will work, <laughs> but they're like, it worked. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's, it really is like, as soon as it started, Mm-hmm. I texted you and was like, this is, oh, Splice is really bad. Like, it's yes, bad, bad. It's bad. It's bad. And there's the outline of a good movie there, maybe. And it does, I think, try to tackle some themes that are interesting to me normally in a yeah. horror movie, like motherhood and like bodily autonomy mm-hmm. uh, to varying degrees of failure. Uh, yeah. It's weird. You're right. It like, like I normally like camp and it's definitely yes. campy. I like monster stuff i like body horror i like all these things i like the themes of like gender and like uh like you said motherhood and like weird sex stuff yeah so then why does this movie so bad i don't know i feel like maybe it just didn't maybe it wasn't didn't go far enough into camp or like it didn't Mm. hold our hand enough through all of the outrageous things they're gonna make us watch i also think i didn't care about any of the I, didn't I mean, I was just either. like, yeah. I care about this random man. I just said that. But I meant, like, obviously, I don't want someone to die. Yeah, But exactly. I also, but I didn't care enough about the characters because they were all very annoying. 100%. That could be it. Yeah. Like, Sarah Pelly's character, Elsa, 
is like kind of inconsistently characterized. I think she could have been a character that we cared about. And if right. the movie had been more about her perspective, kind of, I think mm-hmm. perhaps it would have benefited. So right. she, a pivotal conversation she has with her, her boy, Adrian Brody at the beginning of the movie, he's like, I want an apartment that's really big so we can have kids. And she's like, I don't want kids yet. Like, Right. It's my body and like it makes a joke about like when we figure out male pregnancy, like you can have the kids. Right. Um, and then for some reason after that conversation, she makes the decision to use her own DNA in the animal hybrid. And it's also revealed that she had an abusive mom growing up and that kind of informs her relationship with Dren. Yeah. Which I think, I think that's all interesting, but I mm-hmm. think that, her character takes weird like to her the turns her character makes are very like abrupt i feel like yeah like she doesn't want a kid and then she's like instantly maternal when she yeah. creates dren and then she is like a when dren is an adult she like instantly switches to like maniacal and sort yeah of evil yes. which is just weird it's like it a, is it's just it's weird there's no, it's all very sudden, the, yes. the, the turns. It's like men being like, women and their hormones, like crazy. <laughs> uh, I did read, I think this movie has a pretty dedicated following of perverts who are into it and who are turned on by Dren. Because mm-hmm. I f- was looking through the IMDb trivia and it's, you know, like classic IMDb trivia where it's not actually trivia. It's just like some weirdo like being <laughs> like, I noticed in this scene she's doing reverse cowgirl oh god (laughs) like but one person wrote a lot of this was literally like the quote in the trivia section like many audiences despised the character of elsa and i was Uh, like yeah because she's like the mean mommy who is like you can't have to adrian brody like you can't have sex with our weird daughter so clive Mm -hmm. wants a human baby doesn't isn't really interested in fathering Dren. And then when she gets older and Elsa starts being mean to her, he's like, Hey, like we love her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then there's this pivotal scene, which is all I knew about the movie going in is that Adrian Brody has sex with his mutant daughter. Right. Yeah. What did you think of that scene? It's, I mean, it's pretty like disturbing, I guess. Right. Like, which is, I think it's meant to be, but it's also meant to be sexy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's very naked, and she's very humanly naked. She is, like, hot. Yeah, she's hot. She's, a, like, bald. She's very French-looking. She has eyebrows, which yeah, I she has was eyebrows. Weird. It was sudden, because she doesn't have eyebrows as a kid, and then, like, she suddenly has eyebrows. Right. It's very, yeah. Her, like, transformation to human is very, like, she she's, like, mutant-like as a kid, and then as soon as she's old... She's like she's a sexy. I yeah. guess I guess that is good that they didn't like make sexy kids or something. Yeah, but I sort guess. of because she is sort of still a kid because she's only been alive for like a week, a couple weeks. Yeah, or whatever. That's, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Like um, mentally, she's like drawing. Yeah, no, it is still weird because like she's drawing like oh pictures yeah, of of them. And yeah. she talks like a baby. She like yeah. babbles kind yeah. of. Um, as one IMDb commenter pointed out, the only human noises she makes is when she groans like a woman during sex, um, (laughs) with Adrian Brody. And it's kind of half-heartedly implied that Adrian Brody is sexually attracted to her because he recognizes his Mm -hmm. girlfriend's DNA in her. Yeah, it does. Yeah, they do try to push that. Which, men, that is not an excuse. Yeah, no. (laughs) It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card when you're caught with your mutant daughter. Um... There's another sex scene in this movie, or not a sex scene, a scene of sexual assault that mm. I did not know about. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that, so at the end of the movie, and this is, like I said, normally something that I would be really interested in, especially, mm-hmm. you know, in the context of, like, other body horror movies, yeah. like mm-hmm. like The Cronenberg. Fly and mm-hmm. The Brood or whatever. So Dren transforms into like a more masculine Mm -hmm. figure at the end and then rapes uh elsa and then i think transforms back into more of a like feminine Mm -hmm. creature yeah it's very strange um yeah 
it's it's also like was this needed i guess i don't know yeah it is more just like kind of inconsistent characterization of elsa too because the twist at the end of the movie is like she's pregnant ostensibly with dren's baby and is like i'm keeping it you know right he's like she's really messed up <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> like what uh that made me think uh like dren's ability to kind of have these like dimorphous um gender changes mm-hmm. uh makes it even more like kind of funny how they're never like clear what animal hybrid she is like i think i read on wikipedia it's like kangaroo stingray uh and yeah. like other things so i was like yeah what? i guess I guess, like, I know a lot of people were comparing it to Jurassic Park and stuff with, like, yeah. the changing of the gender or whatever. Yeah. Or being able to, like, make the each other pregnant as yeah. whatever. And I guess they did allude to that with the yeah. other experiments where, I guess, the female mm-hmm. experiment that they had changed yeah. to male and then the male was threatened by the other male and instead mm-hmm. of mating, they killed each other weird yeah super weird um i uh in reading about this movie they found a french actress um to play adult dren and i feel like once they cast her they were like she's so pretty like we're just gonna make her the monster you know like she's it's not we're not gonna try too hard i did appreciate though that like it it is pretty good special effects yeah i i like that um some of it was practical Right? Yeah, yeah. Like some baby Dren moments, I think, were practical. Yeah. Um, connections with Shape of Water. Um, this, these movies have an actor in common, uh, David Hewlett, who I actually don't know what he is in Shape of Water, but when I looked him up on IMDb, I was like, oh, he's in both movies. He That's plays um, the like guy who gets killed at the end from the company, um, oh. N-E-R-D, and he's also in Shape of Water, maybe as a scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, and Guillermo del Toro produced Splice, uh so a little bit some of his style sprinkled in there and dren does kill a cat in the same way that the creature in shape of water kills a cat uh and i was i put in our notes i wonder if this is like a trope because people would actually care if you killed a dog (laughs) or it would be more upsetting to an audience if you killed a dog they'd be like okay i bet some people would say it's also like about like it's like vaginal Ooh, okay, yeah. And cats are kind of more domestic, too, like, yeah. in the house. Yeah, that could be it, too. Um, <laughs> there's a cool article, uh, essay, recently in the Paris Review called The Ugly Duckling by Caleb Crane, and he kind of gets to all of these different, like, parenting questions that come up in this movie and how Splice offers rare treats of visualization, like Freudian visualization, um, and he says, you know, oh, wow, Elsa just gave Dren makeup, a mirror, and a Barbie doll. It's the mirror stage crossed with John Benet Ramsey. Um, <laughs> and, you know, a seminar could probably spent, be spent trying to decipher the movie's position on the implantation of desire. Does it happen when mommy takes away the kitty or when mommy cuts off the stinger? Does it happen when daddy says we love you to keep Dren from flying away? Or does it happen earlier when daddy tries to drown her in the tub? Um, so, yeah, I think there is, like... Like like we said earlier, I think there's interesting ideas here about right. parenthood and gender. It's just yeah. such a I weirdly guess, delivered. Yeah. And what I was saying about gender mm-hmm. before, I meant it was weird that, like, I think the being able to transform is cool and an idea that I am interested in. But I think it's weird that they have it happen mm-hmm. just for the rape scene. Yes, that is a very That's good what point. I meant. I want to clarify because then because I, I was thinking about what I said and I was like that sounds stupid. But no, no, no. That's, that ma- but I d- I definitely meant just because yeah. Like it's weird that they like I don't know, force the transformation uh-huh. just for rape. Yeah. You know? And the, it's foreshadowed like you said with the mm-hmm. earlier experiments where they have like these xenomorphs you know, Fred and Ginger and Ginger is a female and then Ginger mutates into a male and becomes extremely violent and, like, they kill each other. Right. So it's, like, maleness equated with, like, violence, you know, and yeah, yeah. not really anything that interesting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and women are sexy and seduce you. So, right. I don't know. It's a really weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very it's strange. Cre- it's, like, very interesting that it was able to be made. But I guess yes. if you have... 
someone like Guillermo del Toro producing. But, yeah, that's true. And Oscar winner Adrian Brody. Apparently, the sex scene was more explicit, too. Oh. They cut it down. Wow. Yeah. How would, how? How would it be more explicit? It's crazy that you can see boobs in movies and it's like not R-rated, but you can't yeah. see like genitals. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, who cares? Like, just let it all out. <laughs> let it all out. God. Um, do you want to jump into one-star reviews or do we have anything else to say on this gym? The first one-star review is the very beginning of this movie was okay. The idea was sound. <laughs> The actors are interesting. However, I found that endless cliches just really made the movie predictable and beyond salvageable. The sex scenes were so awful, everyone in the audience was groaning. I felt frustrated as I thought this movie could have been so much more. The ending left me feeling hopeless and as if the female protagonist had learned nothing from what had just happened. I actually found parts of the movie repulsive. You know, parts of this I agree with and other parts I'm like, I don't know. No. Like... (laughs) Like, the idea was never sound. No. <laughs> and, never. Uh, I don't, like, the female protagonist having learned nothing, like, I don't care about that also. Yeah. Um, and it, part it being repulsive is the point. It's the point, baby. Yeah, which I like, you know? Like, yeah, repulsive. I wish they had made it more repulsive. <laughs> yeah. Um, the second one-star review is, these guys should go on Jerry Springer. True. <laughs> LOL. And the last one is, okay, we'll have to explain this one. Uh, the review is tedious and outside, dot, dot, dot. These words will mean something if you actually don't walk outside of the movie beforehand. And those are words that Dren spells with Scrabble tiles. She first spells tedious to indicate she's bored and then she's outside that she wants to go outside because she's really smart, but like a baby, like a sexy baby that you <laughs> want to have sex with. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> it's so yeah. weird. Maybe yeah. maybe that's the part that I, like, just was a total turn off. The whole, like, having sex with your mutant daughter. Yeah. That part I don't like. Maybe if that... I mean, there's no other way to do it, though. <laughs> yeah, maybe if, like, he wasn't dating Elsa. And he yeah. was just, like, another man, like, another scientist. Yeah. And but- I don't know. <laughs> I guess they're trying to make a weird Freudian family drama. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Deeply weird. What do you rate this movie, Bridget? I'm going to give this a four. Because I try to remember how... What did I rate VHS? I feel like that's the movie I hated the most that we've watched. And I can't remember what I rated it. I I didn't hate this. Yeah. I, like, thought it was really weird. It it compelled me to finish it, you know? I was not bored. Um, And I thought it was a good length. Like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll give it a four. Um, I'll give it a four too, because yeah, I didn't hate it. I and there like there were a lot of like interesting, yeah, things happening. It's just the execution didn't Rough. stick it. Did not stick the landing. Yeah, so a four. Mm-hmm. But I also don't like our next movie, Shape of Water, which won Best Picture. <laughs> yep. Hey, highbrow, lowbrow, anything. <laughs> can come under our critical gaze. Yeah. <laughs> and also, the best picture doesn't mean anything, really. So. Oh, God, no, yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, The Shape of Water from 2017. Eliza Esposito lives above a movie theater and has a healthy sexual appetite and spends her nights cleaning a mysterious laboratory. She is also mute and worried that her disability has marked her for life as an outsider, but her good friends, Giles and Zelda, are proof otherwise. When Eliza has a fishy meet-cute with Laboratory's top-secret asset... I was gonna say assassin. Top-secret assassin. Because that's where my mind goes. But top-secret asset. A muscular amphibian man. Her life changes forever. Because she joins him in the water <laughs> and becomes a merlady. I saw this movie in theaters and I was so excited for it. And then I walked out and I was like, everyone loves this movie but me. <laughs> I saw it like on Christmas or something. Yeah. And you know what? I love Guillermo del Toro. And me too. I think, I, I think he's made some stinkers, TBH. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of them, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I the pacing is so weird just right off the bat. Yeah. It's uh the the you don't believe the love story. No. Um it like the movie cl- has a its climax in the first third, which is fucking weird. Yeah. It, it's just that is so true. That is a really good point that I hadn't thought That's of. That's, like, like, the main thing that, like, h- hangs me up about this movie. Because it's, yeah. like, oh, you could have had it all that time to fucking make them, like, fall in love. Yeah. But you yeah. just fucked it up. Yeah, it is. It, it, you're right. The pacing is really weird. So it's set in, like, the 60s. The 50s? It's sure. set in the 50s. I, sure. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. And the aesthetic is really, like, you know, really heavy. Uh mm-hmm. Uh and you know Mackenzie texted me it's like she's like Amelie she's like mute Amelie um and the the big egregious thing I have with this movie is that it the tone is like a fairy tale and Mm -hmm. there's a voiceover and there's these beautiful scenes of Elsa or Eliza sorry floating underwater in her house uh and then they try it's like a fairy tale trying to kind of tackle uh racism and like uh minority groups mm-hmm. and relate the fish man to like the plight of like black people and gay people in this time period which i'm just like my gut reaction is like don't do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like it could probably be done in a good way maybe by sure. someone smarter not smarter can't remember is smart but yeah. But someone maybe more like first in those issues. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I believe it can be done, but I just like tonally, it just feels like a mismatch. Yeah. And in reading about Guillermo del Toro's uh, inspiration for this movie, apparently he was like a young horror movie lover as a kid, and he watched The Creature from the Black Lagoon, and he was like, "Aw, like The Creature from the Black Lagoon wants to hang out with that lady. Like, I want to make a movie where he gets the girl. Mm-hmm. That is a good movie." idea yeah. to me and i, I think agree. he kind of muddies the water by trying to also comment on contemporary stuff like he said the movie is about today it's about everything that we're dealing with today the toxic division of the I- ideology of us and them which is a very like sweet sentiment but like maybe don't mix up your monster movie right ro- romance with like systemic oppression and racism i don't know like he did, I mean, for like Pan's Labyrinth. So yes. he he did it well there, Successfully, where he yes. was like, "This is a fairy tale, but it's also about like war and yeah, one hundred percent." And it, he nailed it. Yeah, but it didn't fit here. It seemed. Oh God, and I hate to be like I hate to like pick apart. I don't be like a nitpicky person. No, or whatever, let's do it. But it's like. It's very. It seems like shallow. Mm-hmm. There is an egregious <laughs> note, note leaving situation that rivals the Quiet Place Two board that underlines weaknesses. Question mark. Where uh, it's the actual end climax of the movie, like the last like ten minutes, and the evil man is trying to find Eliza and the Fish Man, and she he finds a note on her calendar. Her huge, a huge note that says rain slash docks. Yeah, yeah. When you're planning your life-changing escape, yeah, you put you put it on the calendar like that. Yeah, that was, <laughs> it's very silly. And I totally agree. I think Pan's Labyrinth did it correct, like more successfully, perhaps mm-hmm. because Pan's Labyrinth was overall more dark. Mm-hmm. This movie to me has like really weird hairpin yeah. changes in tone. Like I remember in theaters being shocked because there's this, sex scene with Michael Shannon who's the villain and his yeah. wife and it's like kind of a comical but also graphic sex scene mm-hmm. well not super graphic you see his butt um, but he's like humping his wife right. and I was like whoa okay like whoa yeah, it where is did very this jarring. come from yeah. and and because it does almost seem like violent a little bit to me yeah. like the like the the act <laughs> yes exactly uh, maybe that's also just because his character is such a brutal character that it seems mm. like like Mm-hmm. danger or whatever and it also like gives this weird like that his character sexualizes eliza in yeah. a very strange way that yes. i think like 
it, the point is to make you more afraid of him and just yes. like sort of just like nail it in that mm-hmm. he's like a terrible person. But it also is weird. Like I, I don't know. Like she's already like a sexual being in a good way with like a yeah. person that she wants to be sexual right. with. I like right. don't think they needed to add her being like threatened sexually as well, especially because the reason that she's sexualized that way from this man is because he like likes a silent person so he's like attracted to her being mute i don't think i don't know that bothered me a little bit you're right i think it was unnecessary um because he already was scary uh right enough and violent enough and someone else pointed this out in a review there's like he uses a cattle prod to torture the creature and there's like a scene in the background of the police using them on like black protesters uh Mm -hmm. and it's like okay we get it you know, uh, uh, yeah. the amphibian man is like them. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Eliza's muteness, Sally Hawkins, the actress, is not disabled. Um, and I do feel like the disability, the use of a character with a disability in this movie is like one to one equated with her being like monstrous in some way, right. um, or at least being an outsider, which is really disappointing. Um, mm-hmm. Elsa Su, uh, Sujenison uh, Henry uh, wrote, "Belong, I belong where the people are, disability in the shape of water. This is in Tor.com, and the title is a reference to The Little Mermaid, which I think this movie has some things in common with. Mm-hmm. And she writes that, um, the first time in years that I've seen a disabled woman sexually desired and indeed sexually active and loved in film is via monster. Monsterhood and disability are inextric- inextricably linked in our genre she kind of just writes of being like really disappointed uh, in this film. And another article, Kim Stauder in the crippled scholar.com writes that this movie is a toxic romantic fantasy and says that it's a dark and flipped take on a combination of Disney and Hans Christian Anderson's original, the little mermaid. Instead of a sea creature wanting to walk among humans, a human wants to be with a sea creature. Eliza played by Hawkins is a woman who has no voice. She didn't sell it to a witch, but rather experienced an undefined violent injury to her vocal cords as an infant. So I think those are like extremely valid criticisms of this movie. Yeah, I think so too. Especially when there's a line that Eliza's like, yeah, she says something like, uh, he knows that I'm, he doesn't know that I'm not whole or something yeah. like that, which bothered me because it seemed like she was like, it, it seems like even she thought she was like settling. Yeah, which, you're right. Which is weird. Like, I want her to be, like, you know, like, in love with the fish man, you yeah. know? Like, I don't want her to feel like, oh, she has to be yes. with him because it's the only person that, you know, noticed her or whatever. Like, I, and I think that, I think that that is probably the biggest issue with the movie is that they don't, like, build up their romance that much. Mm-hmm. Or at least enough for, like to sell their love what do you mean Mackenzie they have eggs (laughs) they just don't like like it's clear from the get-go that they can communicate with each other because she starts teaching him sign language like immediately Mm. and he starts picking it up so it's like why can't we just see them communicate in sign language more yeah that's a really good point um and it's kind of like almost the same problem with splice is that the inhuman presence it's like unclear how much they are human and how much they are like a peer yeah Um, exactly like that's another thing even just beyond like making their chemistry stronger it's also like is this does this man understand what's happening like can he consent to like the sex yes exactly (laughs) and also i know that guillermo del toro went to extreme lengths to make Doug Jones, who's the actor inside the the costume, as the creature, sexy and yeah. looks sexy, and he, like, I think he's hot. Move sexy. <laughs> I think you know. I think he's hot, but the, he they still don't have any chemistry. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can be done with right. a, like a beastly character. Oh, totally, one hundred percent. You know, we could talk about the be- Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, exactly. Beauty like, and the Beast. They have more hot. chemistry. They do, and the buildup is hot. <laughs> yeah, Maybe because the beast can talk too. Because you know, women—it's not just the body that we want. We want exactly, the connection. Right, exactly, and we that's want to recognize why the like, humanity. Right, exactly, and so it's like, why don't they talk to each other? Yes, because they—they so right. they literally can. We know it from the start, and then they never freaking do. 
Even if he rudimentarily, like, could communicate with her. Right. And, like, word, like, single words. I would still be like, okay. Yeah. Then, you know, when she goes to live with him in the water, they're not just going to have awkward, you know, they're not going to be bored. Right. (laughs) Swimming around together. Yeah. Or whoever knows how long. Um, Yeah. Just, I also feel like the side characters are kind of stereotypical. I feel like poor Octavia Spencer gets this role in... A lot yeah. of movies. It's yeah. like the sassy black woman supporting right. character. And yeah. she can, she's a great actress. Um, yeah. I agree. So that's a disappointment. And I forget the actor's name who plays Giles, but sad it, older gay man is like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot like, it is a lot like Amelie, honestly. Like her quirky apartment next yes. to a painter. Yes. A sad okay. alone painter. One was plagiarizing. Amelie with, a little bit with a with a you know routine like job yes 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 uh so true even the haircut is a little like Amelie yeah yeah and I also just feel like there's not much to Sally Hawkins performance either right yeah I agree maybe if they had cast someone who actually lived in the world as a person with a disability and knew that like communication can come from something other than yep. mm-hmm. speaking it would have been more profound. Right. Mm-hmm. I think you're totally right about that. Like it probably, like it probably would have even come through even if they hadn't written in more dialogue yeah. between the mm-hmm. two of them. Like it probably would have still made an impact. Yes. You know? Okay. Mackenzie question for you. Is it implied that Eliza is a fish creature? I don't think so. I think that no, I don't think She just so. had her neck slashed or her vocal cord slashed as a kid and then yeah. she re- they get repurposed as gills. Yeah, was, he when like I first transforms it, her. Gotcha. When I first saw it, I was like, wait. They said <laughs> that she was found by a river as a child. Is she supposed to be a fish person <laughs> secretly? <laughs> oh, wow. I, did, I haven't even thought of that. Yeah, because it's just that one line where I'm like, huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> Is this That's- a reverse Little Mermaid? Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, we shouldn't think too hard on it. Because <laughs> they didn't. They didn't. Honestly. Uh, honestly, Guillermo del Toro's kind of been striking out for me in recent years. I did not like the movie about the kaiju's Pacific Rim. I know. I'm probably. Oh, I like Pacific Rim. I haven't seen it since it came out, so maybe I oh, would, would like it now. So. Oh, okay. Oops. Oop. <laughs> and I did not like Crimson Peak. I didn't like Crimson Peak either. But, you know, I would rewatch both of them. Sure. You know, I would shot. too. But I, I also just really like, I did really like, I actually almost watched it the other day. Oh, wow. Because no, I could, was like. could probably do an Oh, because I watched Colossal. Oh, that ain't. Which I liked. Have you watched that? I've watched part of it. Oh, okay. I should watch more of it. Um, that's a good theme. I mean, I love Guillermo del Toro. And if anything, he's going to give you a beautiful movie to look at. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe in Crimson Peak's case, like I loved crim- watching Crimson Peak. Right? It was fun yeah, to yeah, watch yeah. And look, at I don't it. know this movie. Just like I don't, I wanted to love it too. Like I love I the really idea did. of like I, the black guy gets a girlfriend. Me like, too. Both of these films that we talked about today have like better movies lying in wait inside yeah. of them, waiting to get out. I'm sad said too i did by looking through this people were comparing it to this book that came out i think in 2017 or 2018 called the pisces by melissa broder that i read oh, yeah and it's about a woman who has sex with a merman uh at the beach people were like this is a thing shape of water <laughs> the pisces i should, re- a, should i read that it was okay okay i think it's going to become a movie with claire foy oh interesting mm-hmm. yeah Mackenzie, what do you rate uh oscar winner shape of water like a five, I guess, because I liked it more than Splice. I think I liked it more than Splice, but it's also yep. it's just it 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 had further to fall. Also, um, agreed, agreed. Higher expectations, yeah, from from our man Guillermo. Because um, like I want to like this. Same. I really wanted to like this a lot, and I feel like a lot of people really love it too. Like yeah. the director Kevin Smith said that when he saw this movie, he was like, "Why do I even bother to create art?" <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. It's that's so funny, so too, because, like, uh, you're not even trying to make movies like this. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to rate it uh, a six, but I don't want to watch it again. I'm done. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it twice. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't talk about... Well, so the reason that it climaxes in the third is like, it's like a heist movie. Yeah. And then the heist is over within the first third. And then mm-hmm. they're just like chilling at her apartment. Mm-hmm. And and yet no buildup of like character development happens except that they have sex, which I like. I like that they have sex, you know, but mm-hmm. I wish it was more deserved. <laughs> Wait, also her friend is so chill about the monster killing his cat. I know. Yeah. Doesn't ring true to me. Yeah. <laughs> People who love their cats love their cats. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So a five. <laughs> five. So that was our monster sex episode. Oh, wait. Did we read the one star reviews for this one? No, no, we didn't. Let's jump into it. Yeah. So determined is Del Toro to keep his happy ending that he forces the film into a narrative structure that is both cliched and unimaginative. The 1960s setting might have served for an interesting backdrop for Del Toro to explore social issues, but its script is so on the nose, his character so dull and formulaic, that it waters down any meaningful message. Agreed! Yeah, I kind of, yeah. I kind of agree with that one. Um, the next one-star review is The Shape of Garbage. <laughs> Ooh. Which is a little harsh, but I don't disagree, so... (laughs) The last one is, it's one of these films that gives these elitist arty types platform to say, you small people are too stupid to understand this. No, the film is stupid. I mean... I don't think that was Guillermo del Toro's intention. I think he wants to bring people together with his movies. Yeah. And I don't think... We are those elitist arty types that will yeah. like be like, yeah. hey. so, <laughs> and if we don't like it, yeah, yeah, sorry to Guillermo. <laughs> um, Chick Flicks is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Groove Carlson for our music. Our next episode will air on July 19th, and we'll be discussing the movies Columbus and Liberal Arts. I am honestly very excited. Me too. <laughs> Yay. You can follow Chick Flicks on Instagram and Twitter at Chick Flicks Pod and email us at chickflickspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and leave us a review. Yes, Tell please. us what your favorite monster sex movie is. Yeah, because I want to watch more of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>